invite your attention again to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. You've probably heard this story, uh, the story about the man walking down the street past the three churches in the neighborhood, and as he walked uh, past them, he was heard to say to himself, not much unity among the brethren tonight, because the first church that he passed was singing, will there be any stars in my crown? And the second church was singing, no, not one. And the third church was singing, oh, that will be glory for me. Not much unity. I remember growing up, hearing my dad tell a story about a church where they, uh, the pastor, along with the church, they decided they needed to paint the interior of the sanctuary, and uh, they had, for some reason, decided to paint the church green. That's okay if you like green, I guess. Um, so they, they decided that much, but then they couldn't decide on what shade of green paint. And so the poor pastor, after so much wrangling and back and forth, he just did the best he could uh, to come up with an idea to satisfy everybody. And he painted so far up the wall one color green and part way up another shade of green and then the rest of the way up to the ceiling a, a third shade of green. Just try to satisfy everybody. We've been talking about the way we walk. And... Um, we understand that means uh, a, a, a symbol or a metaphor for how we live our lives. And last week we mentioned to you how the Apostle Paul, in the latter part of the book of Ephesians, uh, mentions this five different times. He references the way we walk, and he begins in chapter 4 um, by, uh, and I'll read just the first couple of verses, and then as we work our way through, uh, we'll mention some of these verses in more detail. Uh, but uh, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I think we understand there he's not talking about us earning anything or, or us being worth anything, uh, but for us to conduct our lives in a way that reflects our understanding of the call that God has placed upon our lives. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And uh, last week we mentioned this idea that what we are called to as Christians, the first thing that Paul is telling us is we are called to walk in unity with one another. In fact, a good portion of chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Ephesus is about how God, uh, the, it's what Paul refers to as the mystery of the gospel, and that mystery is the fact that the gospel is not for the Jews alone, but that God has broken down that dividing wall and brought them together into one body. And so it's God's intention that we walk in unity. This evening, I want to talk to you about guarding our unity. How do we guard or preserve our unity? You know, unity is not something uh, that uh, just happens on its own. Uh, you know, people, really any two people together... I, I, 
can I just pause and mention something to you? I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here that would fall into this category. I, I'm not talking about anybody here. I don't. But I've heard people, I've heard husbands and wives say, you know, we've never argued a day in our marriage. We've never had a single disagreement. I've heard some say that. And I just smile and nod because what can you say, really? But in the back of my head, to myself, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying that's baloney. <laughs> because any two people, no matter how how much alike or how unlike they are, you know, if you talk to counselors and 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 family uh, counseling specialists and things like that, and and marriage therapists and what have you, they'll talk about. You know, some will say how opposites attract and and how they complement one another. And I suppose in some cases that's true. And I had a, a, a professor at college, at Bible college, that said, no, that's not true. She said, opposites attack. And I, I've seen that to be true, too. Sometimes you, you find the closer your personalities are aligned, uh, the better off you are. I, I don't know. Just what I'm trying to say is you have to make it work. It doesn't just happen. Any kind of relationship, all things left to themselves degenerate to the lowest common denominator. They just, it, things don't coast uphill. So our unity, if we're going to preserve, if we're going to maintain it, we need to guard our unity. In order to do that, Paul tells us here in this first part of Ephesians chapter 4 that there are four things that we need to keep in mind in order to guard or preserve our unity. The first is we need to remember the grace of unity, the grace of unity. And this would have to do primarily with verses 1 through 3 where he, he tells us that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, grace is something that we first receive to ourselves. Thank God for grace, prevenient grace, the grace that goes before salvation. And then as we receive the saving grace of God, and then, and then there's sanctifying grace, and there's keeping grace, and grace all along the way. Grace is essentially God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But paradoxically, if we want to keep it, Grace, that is, if we want to keep grace and get more of it, we have to learn quickly how to give it away. We need to learn quickly how to give it away. In other words, there are some Christian graces that are necessary for us to extend grace to one another in order to maintain unity. And incidentally, this is not part of the message, but as I, as I just indicated, in order for us to continue having grace for ourselves, we have to give it away. So some of these that Paul mentions, he goes into some detail. The first he mentions is humility, walking with all humility. Humility, um, there are a lot of ideas about what humility is, um, 
many of them wrong, my dad would tell about a, a man that came, there was a gentleman that used to follow them in their revival services, the Bender family when they would travel around different places, um, certain parts of the country, um, if they were anywhere near, this man would come to wherever they were. And uh, they grew to know him as someone who, now it's safe for me to say this here because I don't have anybody like this here, but um, they grew to know him as someone who would occasionally stand up and, and testify and take over the service in the process of his testimony, so-called testimony. And uh, they said on one occasion they were there for this uh, incident. They were sitting on the platform and this noticed this man was in the audience. And after a while, he stood up and began to, to testify. And on one occasion, he testified with speaking about his humility and about how humble he was. And in order to demonstrate to the to the crowd of people gathered there how humble he was, he took his coat off and put it on the ground and walked over his coat to demonstrate his humility. Well, my family, <laughs> this is quite a number of years ago, they, uh, they saw him stand up in this meeting and they immediately grew concerned because they knew about his tendency and they began to pray on the platform and they began to pray oh lord would you set that man down and it wasn't very long until he lost his teeth literally and they came out and landed a seat or two in front of him right next to the pastor's wife and when that happened she went <gasps> And he said, oh, my goodness, I've lost my teeth. And he sat down. And that was the end of that testimony. <laughs> Humility. I remember hearing someone say, a lot of times, it is the choice between humbling ourselves willingly or being humiliated. And often that happens. We are to walk in humility towards one another. We are to walk with gentleness, also with patience, and also with long-suffering. I'm not going to take a lot of time on each one of these, otherwise we'd be here all night, and none of you want that. Um, long-suffering, um, <clears throat> Lord help me when I'm driving, um, literally means long-tempered, long-tempered as opposed to being short-tempered. Um, you, you may have guessed that one of the areas where my grace is often tested is when driving down the highway. I'm guessing there may be some kindred spirits here with me tonight. Um, maybe not, but whatever the case, we all have those areas where our, our grace is tested. And in regards to our relationships with one another, we are called to walk in unity and to remember the grace of unity. That is the grace that we need to extend to one another. And one of those areas is to be long-suffering, long-suffering, long 
tempered. Also, there is the grace of endeavoring, endeavoring. Uh, He mentions here, we read it in the English Standard Version, uh, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is simply that idea of effort being involved. We keep working at it. We don't sweep things under the rug. We don't ignore problems when they happen, when they come up. If there are problems, now there may be times when it's appropriate to to wait a while for emotions to settle. Sometimes it's not a good idea to address issues if emotions are at a high level. But that doesn't mean we ignore those things. After we've had time and we're all thinking clearly, we come back again and we talk. One of the stories that I've appreciated hearing from this church, I wasn't here for this to happen. In fact, to give you, you are here, some of you are here, some of you are probably part of these meetings, Um, but uh, Brother Kenneth Hembry used to talk to me every once in a while. He would tell me about uh, breaking the church and how he he said in the board meetings, uh, about that, there was a, it took a long time, I think Brother Stewart was the pastor then, am I right? And actually, the first time that our family came here, the brick was being put on the church, and, and everything was done except this wall on the north side of the church, and that was where we parked the bus, and I remember that pretty vividly, I was probably 14, 15 years old. But Brother Hembry would tell me that Brother Stewart was reluctant to move forward with anything until there was good, good consensus, and, and there were about three or four different opinions, I guess, on what kind of brick or what color brick to use. I don't know. Well, whatever the case, we see the results today. We have a beautifully bricked church, and apparently you all did well working together with Brother Stewart until you came to a consensus. That's what we do. We work together. We don't give up. There's willingness to work at it. There's also peace. We extend peace. We maintain peace. That is the grace of unity. Notice also the grounds of unity. The grounds of unity we find in verses 4 through 6. Paul says here, there is one body And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is one. Someone has written this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Let me say that again. In essentials, unity. That's what this list is that we just read from. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Those are the essentials. In non-essentials, liberty. In other words, we see things with other people, other groups, other churches, but we understand that they hold to the primary creeds and the primary doctrines of the Christian faith, and there may be issues that we disagree, but while we understand those things, we extend to them the liberty and trust that they give us the liberty to disagree, and at the same time, we share a hand and we call one another brother 
and sister. I'd a whole lot rather give someone the benefit of the doubt that maybe is not a true believer than to withhold fellowship and find out later that this is a a brother or a sister that I should have been in fellowship with, but I neglected to. Someone else said this, union has an affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. That's union. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Wouldn't that be boring? Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. Unity, however, refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on major points of doctrine. You see, what is important for us in guarding our unity is that we are able to distinguish between what is essential and what is non-essential. And there is a unity that must exist here within the four walls of this local church body that aligns with our particular denomination. But there is also a unity that must extend beyond the four walls of this church to include everybody that's part of the universal church. There is one, there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope. That, that means the hope of heaven. We're all going to the same destination, folks, if we're following Jesus Christ. We better hope we can learn to get along with one another while we're here. Amen? One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of us all. I was praying, I don't know whether it was this morning or yesterday. And often when I pray, I will begin praying and meditating through the Lord's Prayer and pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was intending to communicate when he taught his disciples to pray, Our Father? I imagine it's a number of different ideas. I suppose one would probably me would probably be my father, Jesus' father, and your father. Jesus' father is our father. Isn't that wonderful? But also our father. He is our we're collectively part of that family, part of the family of God. One God and Father of us all. So we see the grace of unity, the grounds of unity. Third, notice the gifts for unity. The gifts for unity. We see verses 7 through 11. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, Skipping down to verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. I, I hesitated to use this phrase, but at the risk of Uh, being culturally insensitive and not politically correct, I'm going to use it anyway. 
there's a phrase we used to hear every once in a while, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. You know that, that saying? Everybody has a, a role to play within the church. And us filling our role um, has a big deal to do with the unity of the church. For one thing, as I mentioned this morning, if we are not doing something for God through the church, within the church, then there is very likely someone else who is suffering as a result of our not exercising our gift. You see, our gifts are given to us not for our own Uh, advancement and our own edification, but our gifts are given to us for the other. I'm to use my gifts for your benefit, and you're to use your gifts for my benefit, and vice versa. And as we all work together and find the role that God has for us, not everybody can, can be the apostle, the sent one.
she would get up and sing. She never wanted any accompaniment. She didn't want a piano or organ, no, nobody to play for her. But she would get up and sing without music. She would, she would reach over into her purse. And I, I remember, seems like I remember, um, we would usually sit about the second row, and she would sit either a little ways down on the same row or a little bit behind. And I remember as a little boy seeing her, and she would rummage in her purse and pull out a little scrap of, of notebook paper that had some words scribbled on it. And she would come up and stand by the piano and sing without any music. And uh, numbers of songs, different songs she would sing. One of the songs she would sing was, Oh, Lord, you've been so good to me. Oh, Lord. And people, I want to tell you, though she didn't have great talent or great ability, when she used what she had, I can't tell you the number of times God would come his manifest presence would settle in in that sanctuary and we would enjoy a wonderful time of blessing with the Spirit of God with us. Why? Because she had a great talent and great ability? No, because she just took what she had and offered it up and did the best she could with it. And I'm sure she wasn't proud of her ability or her talent, but it certainly blessed the church. And friends, you may feel like what you have to offer is not very much. But friends, whatever you do have to offer, if you withhold it, if you, if you hold it to yourself, there's somebody who's being deprived because you're not giving what you have. The gifts for unity. Final, finally, this evening, notice the growth of unity. The growth of unity. Verses 12 through 16, here we read... Uh, let me find my place. <coughs> Verse, let's begin with verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, Paul here is talking about two levels or two aspects of the church. It is wonderful to know that you are a Christian and belong to the church. Amen? So good to know that your sins are forgiven and you belong to the church. That is the, the universal church. What in the old creeds they called the Catholic church. That's not, that's not the Roman Catholic church. It just is a good word. It means the universal church church. It's the one church that God knows who all the members are. Wonderful to be a part of that church. But Paul also understood something that, that many people in our day are struggling with, and that is that we cannot remain a Christian for long, or at least we can't be the growing Christian we ought to be without the help that we get from being a consistent part of a local body of believers. I read a story about a freelance missionary who was soliciting 
funds from a particular pastor. And that pastor wanted to know from that man, well, what church do you belong to? And the man said, oh, I belong to the invisible church. He, this pastor knew what he was saying, but he went on to kind of press a little bit. And he said, well, where does your church meet? And the man said, oh, I belong to the invisible church. Well, who's the pastor of your church? And what he was trying to say was he didn't have any particular affiliation with any church. He was just kind of a lone ranger out there sort of doing his own thing. And so after this pastor realized what was going on, he told this unaffiliated missionary, he said, well, then here is some invisible money for your work with the invisible church. Um, we all are part of the church, but we all need to be part of a church. If it's, if it's this one, great. If it's not this one, then find one where you belong, where, where you fit, and where you can be fed, and where you can grow. But you need what the church offers. Uh, and we see that... Um, Sorry, I got ahead of myself in my PowerPoint. Yes, the universal and the local church. We see the evidences of the growth uh, in the list that Paul mentions here. There is, first of all, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is one of the first evidences of growth in our hearts and lives, and we receive that through the ministry that we mutually offer to one another in the church, this body of believers. There's also stability Stability is so badly needed in our day. Uh, we read this in, uh, let's see, verse 14. Uh, Paul says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Have you ever run across people who just seem to be caught up with every new thing that comes along? Every religious fad. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, when I was preaching about uh, the second coming of Christ, how in uh, the book that was written back in the 80s, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is going to Come Back in 1988. Just those kinds of things. Just new little, when I say trendy, I don't mean trendy in the sense of the world, you know, the world uh, pop culture, but I mean in church culture. And if you don't believe there are trends that pop up in church culture uh, then you just haven't paid attention. But, but if you follow, if you pay attention to the news of the of the church world at large, you maybe every once in a while see a magazine like Christianity Christianity Today or what have you. There are trends that come and go all the time, and there are people that just fall victim to that. They seem to have no stability in their life. And every new thing that comes along, think, oh, maybe that's the answer. Maybe that will help me. Um, Paul says, no, we're, we belong together in a body of believers and where we can mutually minister to one another and build one another up. And it's a, a two-way street. There must be those who are willing to minister and there also must be those who are willing to be ministered to. In other words, they're willing to receive. 
that ministry, and it brings stability. Also, speaking the truth in love. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Speaking the truth in love. Someone said this, truth, with lo- truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. And I've seen it both ways. I've seen, I've seen heartbreaking things happen because somebody somewhere said something to someone that may have been the truth, but it was done in the wrong spirit and in the wrong way, and hearts were broken and relationships were broken, and people left churches, and some have left churches and decided they were not ever going back because that's where they got hurt. I'm not saying that's okay. People have to get over that and somehow find their way to Jesus. But there's been a lot of sad, sad collateral damage that's taken place because of people trying to speak the truth but doing it in a way that was without love. I remember hearing a story about John Wesley who someone, John Wesley, I don't remember the setting, but there was a, a, a very well-to-do, high-society lady in the, in the company, in the group. And I guess she was very well made up and, and bedecked with jewels and all kinds of things. And, and uh, someone in that, in that group trying to provoke an interaction took this woman and and her hand and showed it to Mr. Wesley you know with all of the rings and all of the jewelry and said Mr. Wesley what do you think of this and he said I think it's a very beautiful hand there may be there's some issues that I simply it's, it's God's responsibility to tackle think we've wasted time on issues that aren't worth our attention. Other issues that may be important is the Holy Spirit's job to bring to the attention of a person if God wants them to make a change. Speaking the truth in love. Finally, there's cooperation. Cooperation, and I've gone well long enough. Let me let me finish with this. You may have heard the story of the herd of donkeys that getting attacked by wolves at night and they would kick every which direction and they would maybe defend themselves against one or two wolves but they would inevitably hurt one another and the wolves would eventually get some. But after a while, one old wise donkey got the group together and he said, listen, we need to get our heads together. Literally, when the wolves come to attack, instead of us going off and kicking all different directions, let's put our heads together and we'll all kick in the same direction, outward from one another, in a circle. And this is what brought them 
protection and success. Now, that might be a, a, a little uh, humble way of bringing this to a conclusion. But, friends, it's very much what we need to do to realize that we belong together. We're part of this body of believers, and we need to do everything that we can to guard and to preserve our unity. Do nothing to damage it, but do everything we can to preserve the unity. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Father, we thank you for what you have done in breaking down the dividing wall and making all of us one. You told us, in fact, Jesus prayed for this in John chapter 17, that we all would be one. Father, help us to understand that that's not just opening our arms wide and embracing everything, yet, yet neither is it uh, putting up walls and strong doors, but it's having sanctified wisdom and Holy Spirit uh, filling us with divine love for one another. And would you help us to share that freely? And Lord, we'll thank you for all you do.